Some of you started out probably wondering if you're going to get here with all the ice and the, the, the have the roads gotten any better yet? I've, I've been here since a little earlier. Okay, you're kind of quiet. I guess not. Um, if you have your Bibles, would you open with me to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1, the title of this message today that I felt the Lord had put it on my heart is Messy Christmas. Messy Christmas. Some of you, that title, you're already ready to lean in because you know what I'm talking about when you talk about messy Christmas. Some of you are having a messy Christmas this year. You could feel it. I mean, you know, it's a season with all the beauty and the bows and the trees and, and uh, the gifts and the giving. But, man, what so many people don't see is all the messiness that's going on behind the scenes. Some of us, we walk into this season, and life is kind of a mess right now. We're walking through something, going through something. Um, it's a messy Christmas. Maybe you've had those before. Maybe you're having that right now. I'm reminded of, of this, uh, this idea, really, based on something I'm calling the, uh, the family portrait principle. The family portrait principle, I've learned this principle um, from being, uh, being a new parent and uh, being newly married some years ago. My wife and I uh, used to start receiving mail. Some of you that are newlyweds, I see a couple newlyweds in the body today. Uh, you're starting to receive mail that has both your names on it. You're a family now, and as you're receiving those, one of the great things we receive at Christmas time are all the family pictures that people send us. You know, the photo cards that you receive in the mail? Come on, let me see your hand up right now if you've received a photo card from someone, from friends, from family. You know what I'm talking about. It's a family picture. It's beautiful. It's pristine. It, it looks great. Great. I remember my wife and I, we received these when we were newlyweds and we loved it. We got so excited um, because we saw all these bright, smiling faces and the little kids and the dog and all the things that came and we started hanging them up. And now we have a tradition in my house where over our doorway, coming in and uh, coming, when you're leaving our home, our main door, we hang all of those cards, any Christmas cards we get. So if we get pictures of families and what we'll see are just dozens of families, um, they're beautiful pictures. And we long for the day when we would be able to take those pictures. My wife and I weren't going to do that just as a, just the two of us. Uh, then we got a dog and we thought, nah, it won't just be the three of us. We'll wait till we have kids and we'll, we'll do that. Well, now we have kids and I learned something. Those things are a hoax, those, those pictures. That isn't real. That's not real at all. It's not this bright, smiling thing. It's like, you're, you're, you, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of messiness. But let me show you a couple of pictures. We got this from my mom. My mom might be watching. Hi, mom. She watches live sometimes. But for her birthday this year, we took some family photos. And, um, and actually, I don't know if I put those in there or not. But, but uh, we took some family photos. We got up early in the morning. And as we got up early in the morning, um, we came and we ended up taking this picture. So this is my mom. This is her three grandchildren, Landon, uh, who's two months older than Lily. Uh, so they're both three-something. And then Lil Josiah is 18 months old. And my brother Alex and his wife Kobe and, and Mandy, of course. So this is this picture with my mom. We thought she'd love that. Um, and then we have another picture. It's just of the three grandkids. Look at that. Um, these moments in time are really just a fraction of a second when something clicked. But can I tell you about the hour and a half to two hours around? And can I tell you about the hours leading up to this when we all had to coordinate what colors we would wear and crying kids? And come on, are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about, parents? I mean, these few moments look so beautiful. And I'm like thinking back, like, 
wow, I can't believe they got that shot. Maybe they photoshopped some face there because uh, there was a lot of mess around all of that. Uh, of course, we love that. They're beautiful. My wife and I had some pictures of the kids taken a week ago as well, and, and those will end up on our cards. But this is the picture we get. This is the picture we show everyone. And what we don't show them are all the outtakes. What we don't show them are all the negatives. What we don't show them are all the messy things that happen because you don't want a picture of my son crying. I don't think you want that um, on your doorframe or mantle. But here's what I realized in life. We're so good at putting up this picture and we're so good at trying to hide all the other mess. And I think we can focus here and we can get these pictures and think this is what life is all about. Or when we receive it, this is life, what life should be. But man, how many of you know if we're honest some of you receive those um, Christmas updates from families where they write the long letter about all the things that happened that year and, and then this person did this and their grades were this grade and this happened. And it's all the highlights, all the incredible things. Man, what if it was a real reflection of our year? You saw the highlights and you saw the lowlights, right? You saw the challenges and this happened and that happened. Man, life can get messy, can't it, church? Life can get messy, and yet we're living in an age, and social media doesn't help us as well because we share pictures like this. We share the pictures of the food and the tree and everything. We never give people a glimpse into the mess. But I believe it's in the midst of the mess that God is working, that God desires to work because this is just a fraction of a second. But, man, we're living, some of us. There's a lot of other challenges. Man, that they, they go under the surface. No one ever gets to know about them or see them. You can pull that down. I want you to look at God's word today in Matthew chapter, or I'm sorry, Luke chapter one, because I believe God wants to speak to the messes that are in our lives, the messiness that might find you this Christmas season. And so, Lord, just come and breathe upon this word, I pray today, Lord, that you would, in the midst of what I share, uh, Lord God, that I would just be hidden behind your cross, that, Lord, your word would go forth with power. Holy Spirit, that you would speak and open every heart to hear and understand what you want to say to each one of us. In your name we pray. Amen. The first Christmas was a messy Christmas. I want you to know if you're experiencing a messy Christmas this year, you're in good company because the Savior of the world came into a messy Christmas. He instituted Christmas, and it was a messy time. Let me look with you here, and in, in starting in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Could you imagine receiving this kind of news from an angel of the Lord? So Mary has a natural response. How could this be? And her response is, how could this be since I am a virgin? See, she wasn't a married woman. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. She had kept herself pure up until that time. She had had no relationship in that way with anyone. So there should be no reason that there would be a pregnancy. And therefore, getting this news 
would greatly trouble someone. It would be greatly confusing to someone. For Mary, this is exactly what had happened. She was greatly troubled by the words when she received this greeting, and she was confused by what was said to her, that there was this amazing promise. But you could imagine what someone would think with a young girl. She's in her teenage years, an unplanned pregnancy, a man whom she is supposed to marry that she has to go and break the news to that she's pregnant. It's not his son, but don't worry. It's God's child. Come on. This is ripe for the Maury Povich show, right? This is craziness. This is nuts. Like what would this, like what, what would anyone think? What would anyone think today if they say I'm pregnant and I've not been with anyone and it's God's child? So in that day, it's messy, not just the story, not just the experience, but the whole circumstance and situation. It's messy. Couldn't it have happened some other way? Couldn't it have happened more neat and proper and prim? But, but it's messy. But it's in the midst of that mess that God is about to give birth to the miraculous. And I want you to know today, some of you are walking through some messy things, some challenges, some things you cannot wrap your head, let alone your heart around. And I want you to know that God is present even in the midst of the mess. And that it might be right there in the midst of that mess that God could give birth to the miraculous. That there could be a miracle ready to happen right there. But you and I, we have to be mindful of how we approach those times and those seasons. So as we look at this passage, as we look at God's word today, I want to give you a few principles for how we live and how we thrive when we walk through a messy Christmas. And these come from the first Christmas, and I believe these principles apply to us today, and they can help you to experience the miraculous even in the midst of the mess you might find yourself in today. The first principle I want to share with you is that you and I, we have to fill the gap with faith. We have to fill the gap with faith. I'm going to talk to you about what that means you see, there's always a natural gap that comes in our lives when there is a dis difference between what we expect to happen and what actually happens. Our current reality and our expectation of what that should be. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're in a season of life right now where you expected to be one place. But if you were to actually look in the mirror, you'd realize you're in a completely another place. You know what I'm talking about? You're in a completely different place than you ever thought you would be. And the gap that exists between where you are and where you thought you should be can create a lot of different things in the midst of that gap. Whatever's in there, that's the place of frustration. That's the place of confusion. There's a pretty big gap for Mary, wasn't there? Married to Joseph, pregnant with God's child. There's a pretty big, I don't have, we don't have, a, as far as the east is from the west is the gap on that one. So confusion fills in there. But there's all kinds of things that fit, and depending on how wide that gap is for you, it can be very challenging, it can be very depressing, it can be very frustrating. There's also a gap that can exist between where you are and where God has called you to be. In the midst of that gap, there could be a gap between what you have believed and trusted God for, something that you even have sensed God has promised for you in your life, and what you're seeing right now in your life. You see, we live seeing things all around us. But the Bible tells us we have to live and walk a different way. It says, we walk by faith, not by sight. We live our lives by faith, not by sight. The problem is that 
we're seeing people. Some of us don't see as clearly as we used to see, but we can see. If I close my eyes and preach the rest of this message, I will end up on the floor, I promise you, because I will walk right off this platform. We rely so much on our sense of sight to navigate us. If we don't have a sense of sight, then we rely on other things that we put our confidence in to navigate us. And what the Bible says is there is something that happens when you become a follower of Jesus, when you become a new creation in Christ, that no longer we navigated by what we can see, but by faith. We live and walk not by sight, but by a deep abiding trust in God. That is our faith. It's our faith in him. And I want you to know that when there is a gap, a chasm that exists between your expectation and your reality, between your hopes and, and what you've been trusting God for and what you're currently experiencing, you have to fill that gap with faith because it will be full of something. That gap is a place of frustration, of confusion, of bitterness, of anger, of all kinds of things, of, of despair, of, of depression. And oftentimes we end up filling that gap with all kinds of other things. We got to learn what it means to fill the gap with faith. When we fill the gap with faith, it means that we are placing over that place, that gap, that chasm is between it's a trust in God. And when I talk about faith, I think we have it wrong, to be honest. I think many of us, we have a faulty an incomplete definition of what faith really is. In fact, I've been studying this in my own personal time with the Lord, and I was journaling a couple weeks ago, and in my journaling to the Lord, I wrote this out. I said, Lord, I am becoming convinced that I'm not sure I know what faith even is. Lord, teach me what faith is. Teach me what that means. And as I've gone through just a personal time of reflecting, here's what I think happens often. We think that faith is hoping for God to do what we want him to do. We think that faith is hoping for God to do what we want him to do. I've been challenged to, and, and to be honest with you, into that kind of thinking. But I've learned that faith isn't about hoping what God, God will do, what we want him to do. Faith, when you see in scripture, it's this. It's knowing God will be who he has promised to be in every circumstance. Do you see the difference? It's not hoping God will do what I want him to do. It's about knowing God will be faithful to do what he has promised to do. It's not a hoping, it is a knowing. It is a spiritual knowing and trusting in the character of God. He will be who he has always been. He's the unchangeable God. He's the God who has promised. He will do what he has promised to do in the way that he sees fit. To where we get in trouble with faith. It's our hope in God will do things the way we want him to do things. That's wishful thinking, friends. That's us dictating terms to God. But I want you to know when we're trusting God, we're trusting him with everything, including the outcome. Here's what I know. That I could, in one way, hope for God to provide and do this and to do this the way exactly I see it fit. But my thinking is so limited. My ways are so much lower than his ways. And so I could hope for God to provide me because I need transportation. I can hope for God to provide me and I can hope for that Lexus and this and that and all those things. Or I can know that God is my provider and therefore I can stand in faith knowing God is my provider. He is my provision. He will do it in the way that he sees best fit. And in that moment, it's a different kind of faith. It's one that can stand in the gap. It can stand in the chasm, can walk on the water trusting because we know 
God is who he says he is. It's a deep sense of knowing. So for us, we can say when we come down with that diagnosis, Lord, I, I hope and I, I want this and could it just work in such a way as this? But when we know he is our healer, we know he will do what he alone has promised to do. It's a deeper, deeper sense of trusting in the, the person and character of the God who goes before us. And, and when we stand and fill the gap with that faith, God begins to do the miraculous. God begins to meet us in those places. God begins to do what we could never imagine. For some of us, man, I'm so thankful God hasn't answered some of my prayers. I've prayed so specifically. I've prayed as if I've known everything. I prayed one thing. God was doing 10,000 other things. And I had no idea. And I'm so much more thankful and grateful on the other side that God was working in the way that he saw best fit. I want you to know it's not just about hoping for God to do what I wanted to do. It's about knowing God will be who he has always been. He's a faithful God. Church, fill the gap with faith. Fill the gap with faith, knowing and trusting God is faithful. God is the one. Therefore, Lord, let it be so as you see fit. Look what Mary had done. As she hears all this, she asks the question, verse 35, the angel of the Lord says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Remember her question, how is this so? I'm a virgin. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One will, to be born will be called the Son of God. That doesn't answer her question if I'm heard that well. Um, but, but that's the answer she received. And then the angel goes on to say, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to bear, bear a child at her old age, and she, who is said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. Why? No word from God will ever fail. And here's what Mary says. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Lord, come and have your way. Come and do what you can only do. See, we have to fill the gap with faith. We have to trust God in his character and who he is, even when we don't understand him, even when we can't understand, even when the gap is so wide, the chasm is so great. When you fill the gap with faith, God begins to open the door to the miraculous. Doesn't matter how messy it looks, how difficult and challenging it might be, fill the gap with faith. The second principle for you and I is we have to make room for the miraculous in our lives. We have to make room for the miraculous in our lives. The story that precedes this story is the story of Zechariah, and I would encourage you to begin to read that and spend some time focusing there. And as, as he's there, he's waiting on the Lord, and he's waiting on God, and yet he gets a promise. And when he receives a promise, he has no room for the miraculous in his mind in that moment. He doubts God. And you know what happens because he doubts God? He's mute. He's not able to speak for, for a whole season after that. And he says, it's because you, you doubted God. You, weren't try, you didn't have room for the miraculous. You were trying to figure it out in the physical. You were trying to figure it out in, in your own mind. And you've got to make room in your heart for God to do what only he can do. Our hearts are so full of so much. Some of you would say, man, my garage is full to overflowing. You have areas in your house that you would not want to invite any of us into because it's just teeming over with junk. I want you to know some of us, our hearts can get that way too, can't they? And we are just so crowded out by the worries of this world, by the things that are happening, by all these things that are just filling our hearts and our lives. 
is causing some of the mess that we might find ourselves in. But I want you to know that as we go through the process, the difficult process of searching our hearts, of allowing the Lord to remove the things that don't need to be there, the things that are occupying space that are undeserving of that space and attention. As we begin to find peace in God and allow worry and anxiety and those things not to have a place in our hearts, what we're doing is we're making room for God to move in our hearts and lives. And when you're making room for God, you're making room for the miraculous. When you make room for God, when you make time for God, when you spend time daily focusing on him, getting into his presence, when you are intentional about your relationship with God, you're making room for the miraculous in your life. If your life is so full of everything else, I would... Go as far as to say, are you making room for the miraculous? And you want the miracle, but you want to make no time to wait on the God of miracles. Spend time in his presence. Don't only come to him for the miracle. Come to him as the provider, as the source of your life, as the God that you serve. Make room for him. And as you make room for the Lord, you're making room for the miraculous in your own life. See, Mary had in her own heart the capacity to believe God, to trust him. And in the midst of that, God met her, blessed her, and was bringing a miracle into her life. Some of us, we think, man, my life is too messy for a miracle. My life is too messy. I don't know. It just feels like that's so far from me right now. When I think about all the compounding things that are happening around me. Some of you think of unsaved loved ones, those that have run away from God, that are far from God. Man, I'm praying for them to come back to to Jesus. I'm praying for God to intervene in their lives. But man, God can't bless them. God can't show up in their lives. It's, It's too messy. There's no room for a miracle in the midst of that mess. I want you to know that It's in the midst of the mess that God is ready to work some of his greatest miracles. Don't be afraid of that. Don't stop praying for it. Don't stop believing God to move. Don't quit pushing. Pray until something happens. I love that acronym. Push. Pray until something happens. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you have been praying for a year at least for something? You've been continuing to go back to God in prayer. You've been continuing to trust him. Don't stop pushing. Some of us, man, we grow so faint so quickly. We stop trusting God. Continue to push. Continue to trust him. God can move in the midst of any challenge, any mess. Here's how I know that. I know that we get the pictures of the nativities and we see all the beauty of that. I know we've seen the cartoons and the other things, but I want you to know it's very desensitized, the pictures that we have. When we go back to the original Christmas, a pregnant woman in distress having left behind her family in an unfamiliar place with nowhere and no one that will receive them and give them accommodations and the baby is on his way. And the best option they have is to go out back into a feeding trough, into a place where they're keeping animals and that the savior of the world, the Messiah, will be born and placed in a manger A place where animals eat, that's where he would be placed. I know it looks so cute in the pictures, but it's very unsanitary. Are you with me? It's messy. Here's what I believe with all my heart. Jesus came to get messy. The way he came into this world, it wasn't going to be to sit in places and sit upon thrones. There was a time that was ordained when he would sit and be enthroned. But in that moment, he came to enter into the mess of life. And it's only by entering in, only by him coming, that he could truly save us, that he could truly clean things up, that he could truly redeem everything. 
we think about Calvary. It's the place where Jesus, at the end of his life, we look at the messiness of the beginning, we get to the end of his life. He walks up a hill where criminals are crucified, carrying a cross. He'd been beaten and whipped. He'd been stripped down. He was being humiliated in front of the crowds. And Jesus, the Son of God, was nailed to a cross and he was hung with criminals. Calvary is messy. Some of us, we think that God would reject us because of the mess that we might be walking through, that God has no place for a mess. I want you to know that the reason why God sent his son was because of the messes that we find ourselves in. It was because of the messiness of life that we might find ourselves in. I, I realized something uh, just this week as I was thinking about this message and this word. Think about the word Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one of God who was sent for a reason. You saw it on the screen because we sang the song today, Jesus, Messiah. But do you know how to spell Messiah? Come on, let's spell it together. M. S. Stop. M E S S. Here's what I know you don't need a Messiah if you don't have a mess. The reason the Messiah came was because of the mess. If you don't have a mess, there's no need for a Messiah. He's the anointed one of God that came to rescue people from the mess. That's it. He came, and if there was no mess, there would be no purpose for Jesus to come. He came to redeem us. Some of us think that we can't come to God until our lives are perfect. If our lives were perfect, we wouldn't need God. We wouldn't need Jesus. It's because of the mess that Jesus came. And some of us, man, we've been wanting to, we hide the mess from everyone else. But for you, some of you, you've been hiding the mess from God. And he sees everything. He knows everything. Invite him in. Invite him to come to meet you in your brokenness. And whatever it is that you're walking through, make room for him. Jesus is big enough to handle any mess that you might be walking through today. Don't turn from him. Don't run from him any longer. He's here to meet you, to save you, to rescue you, to minister to you, to give you what you need in whatever it is that you are walking through today. Come on up, Pastor Rick. I love the promise that God speaks out to Mary through the angel. And it all happened just as was promised because that one line, no word from God will ever fail. No word, no promise from God will ever fail. We have to trust in his character. We have to trust in his goodness. We have to make room in our lives again for the miraculous. You know, I'm so saddened in my heart because I think when we use the word miracle, we speak it with a heart full of doubt. Think about it. When, when we've reached the end of everything we can do and when there is absolutely no hope left, the way we normally describe that is, well, it would take a miracle now to save. Well, it would take a miracle now to do this. Well, And we're saying that basically saying it can't happen. It can't happen. It would take a miracle. For, and we don't say it in any hope. We just say it in doubt. Here's what I want you to know. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you look back at the history of the church, of followers of Jesus, the miracles were things that happened every day for them. 
Miracles were things that were happening all around them. I mean, if someone were to go to them and say, well, it's going to take a miracle, they're like, oh, thank God, because the one we've been serving, the one we've been following, he's in the miracle working business. Nothing is impossible for him. Nothing is impossible as we put our trust in him. He promised us that greater things would happen as we believe in him. And now what if we reduced ourselves today, church? Well, it would take a miracle to save him. As if he, that isn't his specialty. It's like going to a chef and say, well, we need someone that knows how to cook to deal with this whole mess. Like going to an auto shop, well, we need a mechanic to deal with this. Like he, that's his business. Miracles are his, are his bread. They are the thing that he does best. A couple of us believe that. Man, make room for the miraculous again in your life, in your heart. Because it's there that God can meet us. It's there that God can redeem. It's there that God can work and do what only he can do. So we have the gap between where we are, where we want to be, what we are experiencing and what we had, had hoped in, what God had promised and what we're seeing in the midst of that gap as we're, as we're there, as we're waiting. What do we do? In the midst of the waiting, that could be the most impatient part of the process. That could be the place where the enemy would kind of come and whisper lies to you. It's there that he'd want to rob your joy. It's there that you could feel depression press in. It's there that, that you're just a sitting prey between that time of when it was spoken and when you experience it in your own life. So what do we do in the waiting? The answer is to worship God in the waiting. You have to learn what it means to worship in the waiting. I want you to know your worship isn't contingent on your circumstances. Your worship isn't contingent on how you feel. It isn't contingent on what's going on at all with you. Your worship is all about who he is. It's about responding to his goodness, his glory, his majesty. The worship, in that place of worship, it reminds you of who he is and who he has always been. And in the midst of that, as you're doing that, what is revealed to you is who you are. I love how Pastor Marsha said it a few weeks ago that we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ and whose we are. We need to know who we are and whose we are. It's in the place of worship that we are reminded of whose we are, who we worship, who we belong to, just how great he is. There's so many times that I'm worshiping God and as I'm singing out these praises to him, I'm being reminded of his promises. I'm being reminded of his character because there'll be things the enemy will want to do to try to tell me God isn't who I know he is. Are you with me? And it's in that place of worship. I'm just reminded I could sing the praises of God. I could be reminded of the goodness and character of God. I could respond to his goodness in my life. And as we're doing that, you know what also happens? And you see it a lot of times in the Old Testament that before they went to war, they worshiped. And as they went out ahead and they wanted to sing and they would bang drums, they did all these things. Why? Because there was an enemy that they were heading towards. And I think the enemy needed to be reminded of who they were and whose they were. In the midst of the worship, they were declaring who they belonged to. And that the enemy was never stronger than the God that they served. I want you to know when you worship God, it pushes back the enemy. It pushes back the lies that you've been receiving. It reminds you of who you are and whose you are and how faithful our God is. Because he'll do it again. He's done it before. He will revive his word in this day. So worship God in the midst of your waiting. Worship him as you're going through a dry season. Worship him in the messiness of even this Christmas season. And watch how God makes room for the miraculous in your life. Watch how he works. Watch how he meets you. Watch how he changes you in the midst of your circumstance if you'll let him. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? Fill the gap with faith. 
make room for the miraculous and worship in the waiting. Trust God in the midst of the mess that you might find yourself in and watch what God does through it. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to give you an opportunity today. There might be some, and you might be watching online as well, that life has been a mess. You have felt the messiness of life all around you. And you have have had difficulty finding hope. For some of you, you're here today and you don't quite know why you're here or why you're even watching, but something's drawing you. It's not me. It's the presence of God and the Holy Spirit who wants to speak to you. God has circled today as a divine appointment on your calendar because he wants you to know him. He wants you to have a relationship with him. He wants you to know not just about him, but to know him personally. How could that happen? The Bible teaches there's only one way. Jesus said it. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to God except through me. The greatest gift we've ever received is when God sent his son, Jesus, who was born in a manger at Christmas, who died on a cross 33 years later, and who rose from the dead to redeem our life from the mess to rescue us from our bondage, to set us free from our sin, to give us a brand new life and also to give us eternal life that when our days on earth come to an end, we can be in heaven with God forever. This is the promise of God. This is the amazing good news of what Jesus has done for you and for me. He came into our mess and he saved us from it. But today, if you've never if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life to forgive you of your sins, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you don't have that hope that I'm talking about. And today, before anything else, turning your life to Jesus is the first and greatest step that you could ever make. And so today, if you're within the sound of my voice and you know that you're not right with God, And today's the day that you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to follow him. You want to ask him to come and forgive you of your sins and give you the brand new life that I've been talking about. I want you to wave at me right now. I want to pray for you. If that's you, just wave at me right where you're at. No one's looking around. I see your hand in the back. Is there anyone else up in the balcony? If that's you, just wave at me right now. Wherever you're sitting, on the main floor. Balcony, amen. So at least one hand go up, maybe a couple others. We're going to pray together, and I want you to pray this from the bottom of your heart. And if you didn't get a chance to to reach out and raise your hand, it's not about me. It's about you and the Lord. So do that right now. If you're watching online, I want you to just pray this prayer with me as well from the bottom of your heart. Pray, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins that have separated me from you. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. Come and be Lord of my life. I commit to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate with those that made that decision today? Amen. I'm going to invite the altar workers, our prayer team to come forward. Listen, if you rose your hand today, 
do not leave without coming forward and sharing that news with someone. We want to give you a gift. We want to um, just give you something, pray with you, and encourage you in your journey. Um, but as we go into this final time of worship, I encourage you, respond to the word that we've shared today. Um, receive from the Lord. If you need to spend time in his presence, you can do that. If you need prayer, please come forward. If not, you're, you're free to go. Please save your conversations for the foyer. We'll see you tonight at Selah, and we'll see you next Sunday. Uh, God has some great things in store for us. God bless you.